Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host, and welcome to our first show. I could not be more pleased, excited, grateful, and a little bit nervous uh, <laughs> to launch the show today. Uh, as I as I joined uh, my wonderful guest, Roland Williams, who I'm going to tell you a little bit more about, was uh, playing around with the Zoom and uh, put on a little dog nose and some dog ears and, <laughs> and uh, made me laugh, which is uh, truly the best medicine. So um, today we're going to be talking to Roland about uh, cultivating self-love about the place of the inner critic in our lives and particularly the place of those two things for people um, who have addiction, um, who are in recovery or who experience relapse. They really um, kind of are intertwined in those areas. And uh, Roland is a an expert in addiction recovery. I'm gonna um, give you a, just a snapshot um, of Roland's bio. You can learn more about him on www.rolandwilliamsconsulting.com. Roland is an interventionist, author, trainer, counselor, and consultant specializing in the treatment of substance use disorders. He is president and founder of Free Life Enterprises, an international counseling and consulting firm that provides consultation, clinical training, program development, interventions, and staff supervision worldwide. He is the president and CEO of the Gorski Synapse Organization. He is the founder and director of the United Auburn Indian Community Recovery Program. He has provided counseling and consulting services to individuals and treatment facilities worldwide, including Switzerland, Holland, France, Dominican Republic, Italy, Thailand, Japan, the Philippines, and the United Kingdom. Roland works with the Offender Mentorship Certificate Program, teaching KDAC classes to incarcerated inmates. He also works with impaired legal and medical professionals and facilitates weekly support groups. He has published three books related to relapse prevention from a cultural perspective and written numerous articles on addiction and recovery. He's a frequent lecturer and workshop presenter at conferences worldwide. However, he is most proud of the fact that he has been in recovery himself since June 10th of 1986. Welcome, Roland. Thank you so much. That's every time I hear that bio, I think, damn, who is this guy? Well, and that's just a little snippet. Yeah. Uh, that's just a snippet. You you have done tremendous things uh, in the field of addiction recovery um, during your uh, during your wonderful career. You know, I'm old now. Jeez, Kirsten, I'm 66. So I've been doing this for 36 years. And so, yeah, you do accumulate some accomplishments, hopefully after that much time. <laughs> In, indeed, indeed. Yes. So we met about 30 years ago. Yep. 
Um, and I probably, I think I was either 20 or, or 21, um, at the time. And we both, yeah, exactly. I, you know, back then I tended to be the youngest person in the room in a way. Um, and then I got into leadership pretty early in my career. And then I was sort of always the youngest leader in the room. And then it's funny as time goes on, that all just goes right away. <laughs> but my memory of you is not only were you the youngest, you you um you were one of the smartest. And so oh. people often underestimated, you know, they saw that you were pretty and they saw that you were young and they tended to stereotype you, which was a big mistake because you've been brilliant ever since I've known you. And when we talk about what's happened in the last 30 years, look at all the stuff that you've done. What a journey. What a, it- that's a book. Thank you. Yeah, yes. it has been a journey. I do get asked uh, quite a quite a lot. When are when are you going to write your book? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm a book for sure. I'm working on it. Yes, yeah. I'm working on it. I remember. So we were in a um, training program mm-hmm. um, that was a special. So we were both in the addiction recovery mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. I had just you know gotten out of college, and that was what I wanted to do. I knew that's what I wanted to do because I got sober as a teenager. Um, And so when I was putting my classes together for college and speaking to my dad. Let me just say, that in itself is a huge accomplishment. That you got sober as a teenager, you never had a legal drink. I mean- That that is true. Yeah. That is true. How do you say that? You got sober as a teenager. I never drank legally. That is true. Yeah, right, right. Yes. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It took hold of me quite, quite quickly, and uh-huh. I really went hard at it. And so, by the time I was sixteen, I had some late stage alcoholism symptoms and some yeah. things you don't usually see, and yeah. um, necessarily in, in young people. So, uh, the blessing of that is that I have no doubt that alcohol is not for me. Yeah. Um, right. And so, I've never doubted that uh, yeah. since then. I also, you know, the the change in in us when we become sober can be so profound um that i just wanted to help other people with that um and so i started early in my career and i was fortunate that the treatment center where i was working wanted to send me to this this specialized training um that focused on um, working with people who were relapse prone Um, who try over and over again, right? Um, And there's a lot of stigma associated with that. It's totally natural um, part of addiction. Um, And we were in groups of, I think, 10 or 12. It was a big room. There was a hundred and, you know, I don't know how your trainings are these days. Are they they big like that? Like a hundred and... You know, back then, companies were paying for people to go to treatment. They're not now. So the biggest one I've had in the last few years had 80 the last one okay. closer to 40 and 50. Okay. Yeah. Back then it was, those were big, those were big 120. Groups. I think when we yes. went, it was about 120 people there. We just so happened to be in the same group. And the, one of the key uh, pieces of that training is dyad work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we were given the opportunity to do basically role plays where we would play the counselor and then we would switch roles and play the client. And we were able to move around the circle and do these um, practices um, with each other. And I got to you. I, I have a, a clear memory of this. I got to you. And part of it is 
when you're doing the role play, you pause to give the person feedback, uh-huh. right? So they get it right in the moment so they can uh-huh. sort of adjust their uh-huh. approach. Um, and then you go back into the role. And we we did the role play and you gave me some feedback, which was very um, insightful. And we switched and I gave you some feedback. And um, you, I remember you were like, wow, I wasn't expecting. Um, yes, we have a dog joining us. Uh, Roland's dogs are joining us. I think they're being us. I think they're they're very cute. They're being ushered out. <laughs> they're fighting over a cookie. The little one steals oh. cookies. Well, there you go. Cookies. Cookies are compelling. With the um, feedback in real time. Yeah. <laughs> the feedback in real time. Yeah. And so I remember pausing and giving you feedback, and you really saying, "Wow, I wasn't really expecting that of you." Because I maybe didn't look like somebody who was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that I re- I do remember that I was struck by you right away. I'm still struck by you. And you know, you talked about you know the benefits of being sober and getting sober, um, and what that opens you up, the what that opens your life up for. But that only happens if people are willing to do the work. You know what we know, and this is comes back to you. We know that. Abstinence is not the same as recovery. Abstinence is just a prerequisite for recovery. Abstinence yes. gives you the clarity you need to do the work that you need to do. You've done that work. You are sitting here right now because you've been working your ass off for the last 30 years on being the woman that you are today. It hasn't been an easy journey. You know, you, you said you realized that alcohol didn't agree with you. It was not for you. But you realized a whole bunch of stuff was not for you. Yes. Now, over the years, you've checked off things that you said, nah, you know, I don't think this is the path I want to take. I don't think this works for me. I'm not going to subject my, and you haven't stayed in a situation that was, you've learned from each, they say no, no mud, no lotus. It's a saying in Buddhist um, philosophy, and you have had a lot of obstacles and you've persevered through all of them and you've used them as learning experiences and put you in a position where you can actually use your experience to help other people, which is what you're doing right now. I mean, you've helped me over the years. You're one of the people that if I feel stuck, you know, if I got something going on, no matter what it is, I can talk to you about it. And I think we've done that back and forth through our friendship over the years. We That's absolutely cool. I have. appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I, I appreciate that as well. You're still, you are still my, in case of emergency person, um, in terms of my recovery, mm-hmm. um, I had told, you know, m- mm-hmm. my, my previous partner, if I ever really get into trouble and it looks like I'm not coming back, mm-hmm. you probably need to call Roland That's because good. if, if anybody could potentially get through to me, it would be you. Mm-hmm. And I actually called you in 2011 I, I had the cancer and um, I was in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so since 1987, I've been in recovery and the cancer treatment was so painful yeah. <clears throat> that I it required morphine um, and oxycodone. And so over the course of time, I was opioid addicted. So there I am in recovery. And I remember even crossing a recovery birthday mm-hmm. while being actively addicted to opioids 
But let me just say real quick, just for the language for your listeners, mm-hmm. we're dependent on opioids. If Mother Teresa took those opioids every day for two weeks, she'd be dependent on it too. Yes. So it's a little different, you know, because I, I believe that if you live long enough, you're going to have to take some opioids at some point. You're going to have some procedure, some surgery. And so even people in recovery are going to have to figure out a way to take opioids when the time comes without it. Um, without becoming uh, addicted, but even though they would be dependent. So I think just the the language is a little different. So anyway. No, I think that's an excellent clarification because I was, I was um, cognizant of what was happening to me. I was cognizant of the dependence. I was cognizant. It was interesting because as I began to recover from the treatment, which was really damaging, there was this point at which I I got this sense that they were now keeping me from Mm -hmm. um, thriving because you, because you're not quite sure, like what is it that is making me feel kind of lifeless and, and, you know, void of motivation and just sort of dulled, like you're, you're, everything is dulled. And so I knew that I was going to have to come off of them Um, And I was, I had started to titrate and I just was in a protracted state of withdrawal, which was really uncomfortable. And I, I I remember calling you and I left you a message and because you're, you are often traveling because you do a lot of international work. And at the time back then, you know, I wasn't great at asking for help um, at all. That's not, I'm, I'm much better at it now, but back then, because I was really ruled by, perfectionism and, you know, this, this idea that I just had to do it by myself. Uh Um, So that was, I remember shaking, it was like a hard call for me to make. And I left a message and I said, you know, hi, um, it's Kirsten. And if you're in the country, you know, uh, not urgent, but you know, if you're in the country, uh, and maybe you could give me a call back. Okay. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 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 Uh, you got back to me. I'm pretty sure it was the same day. And I knew, you know, I, I've known you a long time. I know you have some history in this particular um, substance uh, yourself. And I really, not only did I want to just speak with you because I trust you and love you and know that you support me and want the best for me. I wanted to talk to somebody who'd come off of opioids because uh-huh. it's so painful. And you you said the, the thing about Mother Teresa and you said, you know, there's there's suboxone, but you got to come off of, you know, the suboxone and there's no way through but through. And, you know, I could recollect because I was in the chemical dependency field for about a dozen years. And the number of times that I taught about opioids and said, you, you're going to want to die but you won't Uh, opioid withdrawal will not kill you but it will make you want to die i just was like okay those words are coming to roost (laughs) i think that that's a great example of just one thing one experience that you've had that you've learned from that puts you in a position to help other people 
you know, and even the, even the idea, not just the cancer, the opioids, but the, the perfectionism, the self-talk yes. that tells you it's not okay for you to ask for help. Yes. Even with somebody you trust and love and you know loves and trusts you, even then it's hard. You had to overcome that as well. Yes. So I think that just makes you just a really cool person to go to because I think those struggles are universal. And you've I, got some healing in those areas, some personal yes. experience and some education makes you pretty powerful. Thank you so much. I I have absolutely done a tremendous amount of healing over the years and um, most particularly the last couple have been uh, absolutely life-changing, which is what has brought me to self-love. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm looking forward, when, our, when we talk again, I'm looking forward to talking about how you work through some of this in negative self-talk, because I'm struggling with some of that myself, and I can't wait to get your input on that topic. And I'm excited to talk about that because, as you say, it, it is universal. Yeah. Um, the inner critic is universal, and it's a persistent little bugger. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I spoke it nicely. It, well, I know. I, 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 you know, I try to moderate my potty mouth uh, when I can. Um, so we're we're getting ready to go to break. Okay. Um, We've been talking with Roland about um, just kind of our histories together and getting to know you. Um, and after the break, we are going to talk about our inner critic uh, and how to identify it, understand its origin, and also extricate yourself from it so that it doesn't have so much influence. Um, you're listening to GTO, Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're listening to giraffe tango octopus freedom for humans have your own story or have questions for kirsten or her guests Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host. I'm speaking with Roland Williams about recovery and the inner critic. Before the break, we just started to get into the inner critic and the inner critic's place uh, in our life. So uh, Roland, yes, let's talk about your inner critic. How yeah. is that? What is that like for you? Well, um, uh, as you as you mentioned, you know, I'm in recovery, recovery from um, heroin and cocaine addiction. Actually, I've been clean and sober since June of 1986. Um, I start working in addiction treatment when I had six months clean and sober because in 1986 in California, you didn't need any credentials to um, be a counselor. I've since got all kinds of credentials and degrees. But um, over the years, like like right now, uh, we were talking about this earlier, I'm pretty much almost the guy I wanted to be when I grew up. Ah, You know, when I was a kid, I was thinking, I don't want to be this guy. Well, I'm that guy. Well, tell ahead. us what yeah tell us what that got like what was what was that for you when you imagined well, that guy I wanted, I wanted to see the world you know i remember laying in chicago i'm from chicago i remember laying in the park i've taken you we've been in chicago in my yep. own neighborhood so you know yep. where i came from i do I'm from the hood in chicago south side south side I remember laying in the park at Washington Park. I'm looking at the sky and looking at these planes flying and think, I want to go somewhere. I want to be on one of those planes. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to have cool dogs. I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to have a cool house. I wanted to have a bunch of friends. I'm a, I'm adopted. You know, I never had any real family. The family adopted me. We weren't close. I wanted to have family. I wanted to have brothers. I wanted to find my birth mom. I wanted to have kids. So I got all of that. You know, I got great yeah. friends all over the world. I got cool stuff. I got all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was a kid, we couldn't have a lot of stuff. I got all the stuff. I can't wait till I get grown. I'm going to have this. So despite all of these great things, I have a career that I help people. I get. I was in an Uber the other day, and a guy asked me what I did, and I told him. He said, wow, that's really cool. You got the double bonus. You help people, and you get paid. Right. You get paid for it. You help people, and you get paid for it. How cool is that? You know. And I should be like, I've been married 32 years. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to have a, a, a wife with long hair. My wife has long hair. Uh-huh. Uh, I wanted to have kids. I got kids. I got grandkids. I found, got a daughter I never knew I had. So I got this huge family. But my head is not, not impressed with all of that. Right. My internal critic doesn't give a damn how long I've been clean and sober. My d- internal critic doesn't care about the accomplishments, all of that. It talks shit to me all day long. You know, and in and, and the recovery, we call it the stinking thinking or the mm-hmm. committee, you know, the, and treatment, we call it the cognitive distortions or the automatic negative self-talk. We're right. talking about this critic. 
And it just goes off and it goes off. And I've seen you get past that. And so I was very interested to talk about, I mean, I can some, I meditate so I can slow it down. You know, I, I do mm-hmm. know that if I'm, it's not the gospel, so I don't take it seriously. I know uh-huh. that that's my guy talking to me, but okay. I haven't been able to shut it off completely. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, for any long periods of time, maybe in a day, I can get 30 minutes of peaceful time. But okay. I, it, doesn't domin- it dominates my day more than this healthy thinking. So I'm curious the techniques that you use to kind of help people turn that off. I know a lot of people struggle with it. Like we said earlier, it's universal. Absolutely universal. Absolutely universal. So, okay. My history with the inner critic is intense, <laughs> is intense. So I, I came up, um, I was socialized to be, be great. Mm. Um, and so, you know, my dad, who was such a, he was he was bigger than life to me in a lot of ways and he was himself a perfectionist and that perfectionism sometimes that doesn't sound harmful mm-hmm. i'm here to tell you it's inherently self-hating because you all you do is set unmeetable standards so that you can then meet them and still feel like a failure and and then feel like you have to even do more and so there is no real love mm. in perfectionism. There is no real acceptance. It can drive achievement for sure. Mm-hmm. But if you are looking for in that achievement, if you are thinking, well, there is where I'm going to find my peace and there is mm-hmm. where I'm going to quiet the voice. It doesn't live there. Nope. It doesn't live there. Right. And so I have been able to identify during this last several years where I did de- the deepest work of my life that I so badly wanted to be accepted by my dad. Mm. And there was no area where it was allowed to be not great. Mm. I had to be smart. I had to, you know, have excellent manners. I had to be articulate. Um, I had to, you know, he had clear uh ideas about how women should look in order to be valuable and and i and i came up in the 70s so you know thin um attractive pleasing to men and he himself had such high standards i now know i now know this because i understand him now that it didn't ever really allow him to express that that we were enough that I was enough or that my brother was enough because he didn't feel like enough. And so I, I that began a, a path of doing all that I could possibly do to, to find this magical acceptance that I was looking for where I could then sort of relax and say, okay, I've done enough. Mm. I'm enough. I've achieved enough. I'm thin enough. I've injected my face enough to that uh-huh. it's, it's not aging. I mean, all I did all the stuff and I was not happy. Uh-huh. Not, not happy. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I realized is that my search for acceptance and, and feeling as though I had to perform and be a certain thing to, to gain that acceptance 
I, I didn't accept myself. So when you don't accept yourself, it doesn't matter what anybody says to you. Yeah. Because what you are saying to yourself, those expectations that you're setting, for me, I projected them. And so one of my fears, which is usually in play here, right? The inner critic, it it works at the it, it really works in service to self-hate, um, which is um something I didn't understand before. It really is there to mess you over. Mm-hmm. Um and it disguises itself as uh, as something that maybe is motivating you to do better, mm-hmm. but it's really tearing you down. Yeah, I've I've watched you, like you said. I think this is a lot of people get tripped up with this because that perfectionism and that desire to be the best for whatever reason, for whoever or whatever, the desire to excel and just have this, you know, this this great presentation. Yes. You that. Like in yes. your in your career, you were the director and the boss and the owner your whole career. Yes. You've been beautiful ever since I've known you. You've been all of those things and successful and smart and polite and, and charming, all of those things that you said. And um, but I, I remember telling people before, because I counsel people on this thing, that if other people talk to you the way that you talk to you, <laughs> we wouldn't even mess with them. We wouldn't no. hang with people who talk to the, us the way we talk to ourselves. Well, absolutely not. And like one of the little ways to kind of break, there's all kinds of little techniques um, to break the inner critic. And one of them is to imagine or to literally try to say what you're saying to yourself to mm-hmm. someone you love. Yeah. Try to say that to someone you love and see if you can even get the words out. That's a great technique. I think that's a great technique. And before you tell some more of your techniques, I'm curious because my my training conditioning was the opposite of yours, where I was taught as a child that you're worthless, that you're you're no you're a, no, nobody wants you. You know, I was put up for adoption at birth, and so right from the gate, I was thinking, what was wrong with me? And then I remember a pivotal point in my development where my stepdad and my adopted family told my my adopted mom in an argument he said can i cast you one word yes he said gene this boy ain't shit and he ain't never going to be shit and i just stuck with me you know that's how i felt i wasn't nothing and i was never going to be nothing i was worthless and i was always going to be worthless i nobody cared about me and nobody was going to ever care about me and i remember as a kid and just shutting down said okay but fine then then that's just the way it is and i'm not going to let anybody get close to me i'm not going to love anybody i'm not going to let people get to hurt me and all my life i kept hearing this voice say see yeah nothing you're never going to be nothing nobody wants you nobody loves you you're not enough this you're not enough that that's the language that my voice does Yes. no matter what and like you said and then you get that do you ever get to a point where you say Okay, I'm okay now. I'm good. You know, I, I did it. I'm there. I am. Well, I am lovable. I am something. I'm always going to be something. You know, I accomplished it. I proved that to be a lie. I can drift in and out of that. Yes. Not a place where I live. Got it. And so, you know, when when um when I heard that you were doing this, I was thinking. 
because you're one of the people where I feel it's okay to not be okay. See, there's Thank not you. a lot of people in my life that I feel that it's okay for me to not be okay around them. Everybody sees me a certain way. Yes. And I think I'm, they come to me for problems to yep. talk. Exactly. You're one of the people I can go through to talk, I can go to and have gone to. So I, when I heard that you were, what you were doing and where you were in your life right now and your career, and I was thinking I could, she would get it. I could talk to Kirsten about this because you've got some healing in this area. So in addition to like telling people, you know, would you talk to a loved one? Would you say to a loved one, what you say to yourself? What are some other things that you've done that you've been able to shut down your internal critic and replace it with sounds like self-love and self-respect, exactly. self-appreciation. Exactly. Help a brother out. Yes. I would, I would love to get there. Yes. That's what, that's what we're here for. So I'm curious that first statement that you internalized, you know, you ain't shit. You're not going to ever be shit. How about how old were you when he said that, that about you? That conversation happened when I was 15 and I, I punched a hole in the wall and I left home and, and I shut down. The shutters came down and I became, mm-hmm. nobody could get close to me. The only thing that got close to me over the, until I had my son was, which was probably, you know, what, 11 years later, mm-hmm. uh, was a, a dog, dogs, animals were the okay. only people that get close to me. And I know we share a mutual love for dogs, particularly. Yes, we do. We do. Um, so that's interesting because one of the things that, um, I did is to sort of peel all the layers. So I did, um, address my chatter, um, and really started to, um, separate myself from the chatter so that I was able to recognize that a thought was a thought and that it was only a thought. And that it really wasn't me, it was simply a thought. And so one little, just a small step that I that I started to do was to say, I find myself having the thought that, and it, because if you speak to yourself in the eye, I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough, you know, I, I'm not there yet. I I thought I would be there, but I don't feel what I thought I would feel. So it must not be enough. It sounds as though it is the real you, like that that's coming from your essence, but it is not. It's not coming from your essence. It's coming from the conditioned self-denial, self-hate in some ways. I mean, that was a hateful thing to say, right? And so about, uh, about a young man. Um, and so once that's internalized, we, we feed and water those things, not on purpose, but we believe them. And so we tend to give energy to those narratives and entertain those thoughts when they come in. And after a while, that becomes the way we're living. And we don't actually realize that we have the power to change that. I mean, I I didn't realize until the last several years, truly, that the inner critic could be silenced, you know, that it didn't always have to be managed. And so yeah. I would say we can go over some more specific things, but I will say that in terms of process, 
once I identified that what was driving, well, let me just say, okay, and and we'll, we're going to come up on a break, so I'll try to kind of make this piece quick, but I, I found myself in the darkest place of my life, the lowest bottom of my life, and it was just two and a half years ago or so. And so, like you say, I've had this interesting life and accomplished a lot of things and had success and all that, but I was driven by a need to be be perfect, to try to make myself bulletproof so that I would be accepted, so that I would be loved. But I was looking for that outside of myself, which is not where we find it truly. Um, you know, people are temporary and the approval of someone else, it it is, it's, it's nice. I mean, and it feels good for a minute, but it is nothing like true acceptance of self. And so I did not want to be in this dark, hollow place again. I felt like it was saving my own life. I had gone through one more tremendous loss and I sat there just alone in my little condo in contemplation in so much pain. I looked inside of myself and it was hollow and empty and I didn't see any semblance of the person that I thought I was. And so I made a decision that I was going to, find out what was at the root of this. I knew uh, instinctively that I was at the root of it, that it wasn't this loss I had experienced and it wasn't my circumstances. And when we come back, I'll, I'll get into more, all the little tools um, that I used. Um, We can see how, if any of those might be helpful for you. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to get, we're going to get ready to go to break again. Um, Again, this is Kirsten. I'm talking to my friend Roland Williams about um, the inner critic and how to free ourselves from the inner critic. Um, And when we return, we'll talk about um, tools and tips. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're speaking to Roland Williams. And before the break, we were just getting into the details of the inner critic. Um, So I was talking about sort of how mind formed. And so mind formed from high expectation and a desire to meet those expectations so that I would be considered acceptable and, and valuable. And you were coming from a different place where you were told you weren't going to be anything and you weren't going to amount to anything. Um, but we both still have, you know, a long history of that, of a very active inner critic. So given your, given your extensive career, um, the amazing accomplishments, all of the things that you built into your life that you wanted, you know, from the very beginning, what is what does that inner critic sound like now today? You know, I'm getting in touch with some stuff as you as we're discussing this, which is pretty interesting. Kind of caught me by surprise, actually. Um, but you said something earlier. I just want to say a saying that I heard that was pretty cool. Somebody showed me one time. He said, "Try to water the flowers instead of the weeds." Yes. And that brick comes to mind as you were talking about which of these voices you really want to listen to, the critic or the, the party that that sees yourself as being okay. Um, but what I've been coming in touch with as I'm going through this is that you said it, this is how you do it. You give this feedback. It's just conversational. It's just so in, in, instinctively intuitive. You said that, you know, you went out with your marching orders, told you you had to be perfect. And so you went out like a little soldier. And yep. my marching orders said, you're never going to be, nobody had any expectations of me. And I thought my response was just say, okay, screw it. But you pointed out, no, actually what you did is that you you suggested that it could be what you did. is said, you really wanted to prove them wrong. You were on a mission to prove that's not true. And I think that is exactly what I did. Because I remember as I, you know, growing up in Chicago, you know, we grew, well, the way we grew up, and it was that my mama used to say to me, she said, boy, act like you got some sense. You didn't have to have any sense. You just had to act like you had some sense. Uh-huh. I grew up, it was all about looking like you had it together. Exactly. It was the shoes, it was the watches, it was the clothes, it was the cars, it was the girls. You had to have, you have to look like you had it together. Make it till you make it. Act as if. Yes. When I remember always wanted to rub it in his face. You know, I remember I had moved to Chicago and I would go back to, to move to California. I would go back to Chicago with this money I made from selling dope and I would 
lay a bunch of money on the table or I, you know, give my mom. I just wanted to rub it in his face and see, see, look at me now. Look at me now. Mm -hmm. I realized Mm -hmm. I've done that my whole life. You know, I'm very mindful that I have the right appearance, you know, right role, the right look, the right things, you know, so that people can see, see, I am something. There's this, the way this, internal critic goes is that I have to show people that I am okay. And then in turn, I'm looking for their approval. And then, right. you know, Groucho Marx, I'd never want to belong into any club that would have me as a member anyway. So their approval doesn't really matter. Well, even when you get it, does it, does it, yeah. does it feel like anything? I think, you don't. Know, you know, and when somebody disapproves, like I do a lot of training and I, I used to look at the evaluations all the time. I might have 150 people, 200 people in a training. 95% of them would say he did a great job. 5% mm-hmm. of them didn't like me. You know where I focused. Of course I do. You focused, <laughs> you focused on the 5%. Yeah. I was thinking Absolutely. they really see me. These guys see me. <laughs> okay. So the, like, oh, the they the so the whole imposter syndrome thing. Yeah, so, so, like, oh, they see they see I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, Interesting. Mm-hmm. So okay, so you have everything that you've always wanted. You have a you really have a wonderful career that has touched and made a difference in the lives of innumerable, like unquantifiable in terms of your impact. And it still doesn't feel like enough, right? That's kind of what the 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 yeah. undercurrent is that generates the critic. I remember one day, one, one thing that exemplifies it. I was working in, you know, I first stuck a needle in my arm in Amsterdam when I was 16 years old. I got introduced to IV heroin use at 16 in Amsterdam. In 2008, I went back to Amsterdam to help open up one of the first uh, abstinence-based treatment centers in the country. And so I continued to work there for about three years. I was actually just there a few months ago. I have a lot of friends there. Um, but I continued to work there for about three years. It was a dream job, you know, in a place, that, one of my favorite cities in the world. And I remember one night, I was walking from a restaurant, walking back to my place, and I just started weeping. I felt so sad and so alone, mm-hmm. so empty. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in one of my favorite cities in the world doing something really, really cool. Had people all over the country that say they love me. Mm-hmm. And I felt absolutely empty. Yes. Cry. And I remember this little, another little in, way my internal critic works. As it it says, it goes even younger than that fifteen year old thing when I was. Mm-hmm. A kid. I would be thinking, "What about me? Yep, what's wrong with me? What about me? What about me?" Like people, I was invisible. I was nobody cared about me. Nobody wanted me. And I remember at I don't know fifty years old, maybe mm-hmm. this was going on when this day happened. Feeling, what about me? Even though I had it. But I never could really internalize it. And I always yes. go back to that's another way my critic talks to me. Yes. That nobody wants you. Nobody cares about you. You're not important. That all my relationships are transactional. Yep. 
you know, I that you have that you can't receive without giving, which leads most of us not to ask for help if we don't have something to offer because we feel like we have to show up for the other person in the same way they're showing up for us. All of that. Yes. Yes. Well, so um, one of my favorite little quotes from a book that helped me a great deal um, called There Is Nothing Wrong With You by Sherry Huber. She talks about the shift from um, self-hate or self-denial to self-love. And she says, it's not just like turning off a faucet, like a dripping faucet, because if because we're if we're still managing the inner critic to a great degree, it's still present. It's kind of driving the car a bit. It's about ripping out the plumbing. Mm-hmm. And so I ripped out the plumbing um, is what I did. I decided that I was done. I was done with this inner critic. I was done feeling not enough. I was done basing everything on my accomplishments or meeting my perceived standards of, you know, what value meant. And I began to cultivate self-love by clearing the conditioning. And so when I'm talking about conditioning, I'm, I'm talking about that what we pay attention to and what we give our energy to continues to be kind of ingrained. Some of that is the inner critic and it is at the level of thought. And we can sometimes, as we begin the work of this, begin to identify, okay, that's a thought. That is my inner critic. You're not welcome. You're not welcome in my life today. I'm gonna send you out. And there are techniques to notice the thought and then send the thought away and not identify with it. So the difference is noticing versus identifying. Once I identify with the thought, then I think that what the thought is saying is truly me and truly about me. And it's not, it's made up. It's made up stuff to make us feel bad that has simply been conditioned over our lifetimes. And when you don't know that that's what's happening, you really believe that this is what life is and that, you know, this is always gonna be this way. And so once I undertook that work and I began really to practice it, almost like a second full-time job, I was still in my my regular J-O-B at the time. And I started to just undertake it like a like a second job and i practiced 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 every time something like that would come in and it i mean and it took a tremendous amount of energy to shift away because i'd been living my life that way for so long and what i found was that when the more superficial um types of thinking get cleared away you know that are kind of negative and Um, tell you things about yourself that you can pretty easily say, you know what, that's not true. You get down to the things that are actual wounds. Uh. And so once I had um, been practicing for a while and cleared up uh, some of the chatter that was a more sort of superficial chatter, I got down to the core of things. And one of the things that I found was grief. I found I found grief that was not resolved. And so part of my work 
was to truly grieve, truly grieve my losses, truly grieve, you know, many, many years of suffering um, and at my own hand, but not in a way that was recriminating in any way. Um, and to apply compassion for yeah. myself. And I'm going to say one more thing, and then I want to check back in with you before we're out of time. What I found was that my default now is a neutral, self-accepting, compassionate, self-loving way of living. And when the inner critic does poke its head in, I'm able to pretty quickly notice it and then turn to myself and say, what do I need? Something inside of me is needing some compassion or some love because the inner critic has shown up and that is not about love. Mm. So I'm going to, um, what do you, what are your thoughts about that? I love it. I love the process um, that you described. It's very, I'm going to implement some of those tools in my journey. I think they'll be helpful because, you know, if it worked for you, then I believe it could work for me as well. And I think that, you know, I think one of the things I'm taking away is how important it is to try to recognize the origins, origins, plural, uh, where those voices started, where they came from, whose voices they actually are. You know, and I, I think that Part, and again, seeing the different ways it shows up, the, the broad spectrum, like people listening to you probably have their own experience as well, where their started mine was what I got in touch with was not as much grief, was fear. Yes. Mine, the origins of mine had a lot to do with fear, you know, fear of, you know, I was going to get in trouble, that I messed up, and yep. now people are really not going to want me around. I couldn't mess up. I yep. couldn't get in trouble because I would get hurt and I would be, I would lose any chance of people wanting, wanting me. And so I had to like, and I remember desperately seeking that and fear of uh, messing up. And so I'm very fear based, despite I have no real history to support that because right. I've been so fortunate in my life. I, if I get a headache, Christian, I think I got brain cancer. <gasps> Okay, I'm so I I wish we could keep talking. We're running out of time, and I what I want to say is I'm so glad that you brought that up right toward the end. Fear, self hate loves fear. It Mm. loves it. It wallows in it. It Mm -hmm. uses it as ammunition. And so um, we can continue to talk about that theme on the show um, as we move forward. Roland, thank you so much for Mm -hmm. joining me and helping me launch the show. You've been listening to GTO Freedom for Humans. Tune in uh, next week at 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, I'm going to be speaking with my friend Nefra about the abandonment of the idealized image, uh, true vulnerability, and we're going to tell you a very fun story that you're not going to want to miss. So this week, hopefully you can try some of the tools we've talked about and just love yourself and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.